Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Previously on impeachment. The president's Senate trial started with a familiar cast of characters telling familiar stories. I'm really reluctant to say it's boring. The real question was whether this production would actually be a trial. It's partly super boring because they won't allow any new evidence or witnesses to come in that would make it interesting. And Dahlia made a prediction. I think at the end of the day, this will rise and fall on four Republican senators. As of this taping, I think that it is and has always been Mitch McConnell's Merrick Garland play. I got the votes. You don't. Suck it. Dahlia Lithwick, I think this might be our last impeachment update. I'm trying to muster up sad face for you and it just <laughs> my face is frozen in horror it's like a rictus and so I cannot do any emotion I am both happy and sad at that news but my face looks like the scream yeah I want to say something which is our music our impeachment music is like this jaunty <laughs> funny music and that's intentional because we want people to pay attention and think about this as like something to pay attention to even when it gets very weedy but I'm not feeling especially jaunty right now. Like, I'm feeling kind of bummed. If this had had any kind of conclusion, Mary, that we could all say, like, well, that was, you know, a just and fair conclusion. We heard from witnesses, you know, the House failed to make their case. You know, the managers just didn't bring it. Anything would have been more satisfying than a bunch of Republican senators sort of in the last hours of this complete psychodrama saying, yeah, they made their case. <laughs> I believe it. But, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad or it was pretty bad, but maybe we should just use the election to decide it. Or, yeah, it was super bad, but, you know, I don't want to throw gasoline on the fire. Like none of the answers we got were satisfying. And in fact, weirdly, a lot of the answers were just about feelings. Like, yes, I, you know, they weren't about the case. Lisa Murkowski is super sad. You know, well, OK, then, you know, Lamar Alexander is feeling bad about the country. Like, I'm sorry, is that is that do jurors get to just have sadness instead of <laughs> deciding something? It's very weird. And so I think as a consequence, we have this massive thing that, you know, certainly isn't over. Formally, the vote will be on Wednesday, I guess. But it's like a thing happened, but none of us know what it is or what it signifies. We just know that a lot of people are super sad. <laughs> so Let's talk about where we are, which is the impeachment of Donald Trump, as you said, is not officially over. Officially, they're going to vote on Wednesday after the Iowa caucuses, after the State of the Union. But just about everyone is acting like this is all finished up with here. And I want to talk about why, because in the last week, it was really all about, are we going to hear from witnesses? And it happened at this particular moment where you and I spoke a week ago. And as soon as we got out of the studio, there was this news that bubbled up. John Bolton, here's what's in his book. 
What's in his book is that he was in the Oval Office with President Trump and President Trump specifically said, we're going to withhold aid to Ukraine so that I can get investigations into Democrats and Joe Biden. So you would think this would be interesting to senators who are investigating whatever happened here. But the rest of the week, we realized maybe not. I mean, you and I had a Slack exchange where we thought, oh, maybe this will break through. And I remember turning on the radio on Monday morning a week ago and the hosts on NPR were saying, you know, we were supposed to be talking to a Republican senator right now, but we're not because last night, frantically, he wrote in and said, well, I don't know what I can say because John Bolton is out with this news and maybe it's going to change things. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to hearken all the way back to a conversation you and I had about the Mueller report because it is the same pattern. And I sort of remember saying to you, like, we're digging and then it gets filled in and we dig and it gets filled in. Like we keep unearthing the same story <laughs> and then expecting like some piece of evidence to blow everyone's minds. Like the thing that Bolton confirmed at, at the most technical level, yes, it mattered because the White House defense team kept saying there's nobody in the room who heard it. Right. Like there's this hole in the donut. You know, it doesn't help to have Fiona Hill and, you know, all these, you know, Vindeman and all these other people. There was no one in the room where it happened. And oh, Bolton's book is called <laughs> The Room Where It Happened. Happened. So presumably he was going to bring some crucial piece of the puzzle that was going to sort of sew it all up. But at the same time, if you look through a different lens, everything that Bolton has said and then subsequently said all week long, we knew. So I think in a weird way, and this is no fault of Adam Schiff or the House managers, we were all chasing after evidence, more evidence and more witnesses and we had it all along, right? So let's talk a little bit about how all of this collapsed, if we could just break it down to steps, because I know you were following it. So what was your first moment where you realized as someone watching things play out in Washington, like, oh, this senator isn't stepping forward in the way I thought, or, oh, that senator is saying something that's a little bit surprising? Well, I, I mean, I was listening very carefully for the questions. Because most of this week was taken up by questions that were sent to John Roberts. He read them out and, you know, both sides had to answer. Yeah. So there were a couple of questions where, you know, we would all be like, oh, my God, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins are in grievous doubt about whether this can go forward without witnesses or, you know, what's the theory of the case? It looks like it seemed as though all of those senators who we were talking about a week ago, Cory Gardner, Lamar Alexander, Mitt Romney, all of them, we were trying to read the tea leaves of the kinds of questions that they were asking. Alan Dershowitz and then Patrick Philbin, you know, lawyers for Donald Trump, stand in the well of the Senate and essentially concede, like, you don't need any more witnesses. You don't need any more documents because even if he did it, it's not impeachable. And the minute that happened, and that happened very early on in the questioning, I thought, oh, wow, if people could accede to this theory of the case and feel like they can go home to their swing states and just say, we don't need any more witnesses, we don't need to, which is essentially what Lamar Alexander ended up saying. I just don't need to know anything more. I, I've got it. That I just didn't see coming. Well, and we should say, like, Alan Dershowitz caught some heat for what he said, which was basically the president is the president, so the president can do what the president wants. Uh, it was scarier than that. That was Nixon, right? If, if the president doesn't, it isn't illegal. This was scarier than that, actually, because what he said is if the president does it merely to get himself elected because he b believes that being elected is for the good of the country, 
then it's not impeachable. That's kind of worse because then it's saying the president is freed up to close all the polling places in California. He's freed up to start pretextual wars. He can do whatever he wants because once you've got it in your head that you're doing for the good of the country whatever you have to do to win an election, you are blessing everything Donald Trump has done to date, right? You're saying anything that he does, including withholding money from Ukraine uh, to influence the election, including sending Bill Barr and Rudy Giuliani out around the world just to dig up dirt on your political opponents. All that is okay. And that's new. And Mm. it suggests that we're not just exonerating and exculpating the president. We are inviting him to keep doing this until November of 2020. That's chilling. Let's talk a little bit about what the senators said as they made their decisions about witnesses. So you have Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, Republican, who has always seen us sort of on the fence. And she gave this statement which stood out to me because of her use of passive voice. She says, It is sad for me to admit that as an institution, the Congress has failed. (laughs) Which was, it got me thinking because it was as if she wasn't part of the process, as if she had no role, essentially. It surprised me. Adam Schiff, I think, on the Sunday morning shows said... Spoken like a perfect spectator, right? Like she's just in the stands being like, wow, I hope they can build a fair process as opposed to one of the people tasked with building a fair process. And so he makes the point you make, which is that is a choice to disempower yourself. This could have been a perfectly fair process. That is not an excuse that should be used by any senator for not uh, fulfilling their obligation to hold a fair trial. Uh, They're not spectators. Uh, They have control of the proceedings, and they could have insisted on witnesses and documents, and for whatever reason, chose not to. And for those who would say... The sheer gutlessness of Murkowski saying, I wanted to throw myself on my sword so that John Roberts wouldn't have to be the tie-breaking vote. Like, I want to go down in history, not just as a passive spectator, but as the person who preserved the balance of powers, you know, the checks and balances. I kept the judiciary from being, like, enmeshed in this ugly political thing. And it was just amazing that she could get from... You know, I want I want witnesses. I want to know what's going on to, okay, what's going on is super bad, but I'm going to protect the judicial branch with my vote. I mean, it is, again, the most passive construction of courage that I've ever heard. And John Roberts is a big boy. If he didn't want to break a tie, he had ways to do that. Not on you, Lisa Murkowski, to use that as your, you know, everybody's looking out for like democracy with a capital D and nobody does the right thing. Mm. Let's spend a second on Lamar Alexander, too, because in the end, it really came down to him. When he announced which way he was going, it it was a fait accompli. And like Murkowski, he released a statement. And, And here's what he said about his vote not to call witnesses. He said, for the Senate to tear up the ballots in this election and say President Trump couldn't be on it, the country probably wouldn't accept that. It would just pour gasoline on cultural fires that are burning out there. And I want to talk about this statement because this isn't the passive voice so much as what we heard with Murkowski. But he talks about, you know, the country wouldn't accept it. And that caught my ear because 
what the country would accept or wouldn't accept. And the country's accepted a lot in the past. The country accepted the Supreme Court deciding who won the election when it was Bush v. Gore. And we all seem to get through that. So (laughs) the idea that the country wouldn't accept, your base may not accept it, but the country is different than your base. And to me, that's a problem that both sides have, seeing their base as somehow representative of everyone. I I mean, my really pernicious, worried take on that is the same pernicious, worried take I had on the 2016 election going into it when Donald Trump kept saying, it's not going to be fair, this is a rigged election, and people are going to rise up in the streets. And I remember going into the 2016 election saying, like, the asymmetry here of what we are willing to quote unquote accept weighs heavily on the minds of, and I can't believe I'm going to try to exonerate Jim Comey, but like (laughs) someone like Jim Comey, right, who's like, I'm going to have a riot if I don't make this announcement about Hillary Clinton. You know, what's the worst thing that Adam Schiff is worried about? Like people are going to be really grumpy and redouble their efforts to um, bring, you know, voters out in November. Like the worst thing that's going to happen to the country is a lot of Democrats who believe in processes and systems are going to be super, super horrified and they'll work harder to bring out the vote, to get out the vote. What is going to happen is what Lamar Alexander is saying. What is going to happen in a country where, you know, some fraction of the population is armed to the teeth and believes that the deep state is undermining this president and that their ballots don't count, even though the vast majority of this country didn't vote for Donald Trump, right? Even though 75 percent of the country wanted to hear witnesses. And so what I hear in there is just an asymmetry in who you're afraid of Mm. and what they are capable of. And the other thing is that Alexander knows that something went wrong here. He admits that. He says, yeah, this is bad. But he still doesn't think that impeachment is the remedy, partially because of this fear, this fear of the people who voted for him, even though he's not up for re-election, he's retiring. It's almost more frightening to hear someone say he did something bad. He did something inappropriate. What was done was really bad. And let's be clear, it was really bad because it tried to distort the outcome of the 2020 election. So therefore, this should be solved in the 2020 election. I mean, the perfect circularity of that analysis, these people all know better than to say what the White House was saying, by the way, from the first minute. This is what the House impeachment defense was, which is you're trying to steal you know, a, a, a fair election in 2016, you're t- trying to uh, do away with those results. And now that's essentially what we're hearing again, mm. that 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 no president can ever be impeached ever because elections are the only way to check. And that's not what the framers thought. And in fact, the framers were most worried about foreign interference. Uh, that was there when they contemplated abuse of power. That was what they were terrified of. Back in a minute with more impeachment news. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. 
Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners. Whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So the actual vote on acquittal will come on Wednesday. And in some ways, that's like a teeny tiny victory for Democrats because their political candidates get to go to Iowa and also because the president won't technically be free of this during State of the Union. So that can't just be like a victory party for him. Are we really done here? Like if something happens between now and Wednesday, is there truly no remedy? Yeah. I mean, I think that it goes back to where we started, which is what would be the thing that would dislodge people who have moved so far in the span of a few weeks that they've gone from it didn't happen, he didn't do it, to he did it, it was super bad, and I'm also fine with it. Like, So it's hard to think of what that next thing – in some ways they've inoculated themselves against the next thing. And I think that the real – to the extent that there is recourse now – and Adam Schiff I think was cagey about this on the Sunday shows – but it will be to just continue to investigate this in the House, to call Bolton in the House, to watch this subpoena wars go you know, through the courts and watch the financial dis- records cases go through the courts and to presumably if they have to bring articles of impeachment in April, so be it. So let's talk about the Democrats – did this enormous thing. They launched an inquiry. They held an impeachment. Who won? Who lost? What did anyone get from this? The Democrats have raised a lot of money off of this. So have the Republicans. So I guess in that way, something is happening for both parties. It doesn't have anything to do with democracy. It just has to do with them as partisan institutions. I felt like When people came forward, the people who work in government in the House process, that felt like a win to me because I thought, okay, these people are being heard from. People feel empowered. People feel like they can come forward, raise their hands and say, I saw something that didn't look right. So that felt like a win for me. For you, who do you think the winners and losers here are? I'm I'm a little bit balking at picking winners and losers just because I feel like it is so much more existential than that. I mean, I really think 
Look, bar none, the big winner is the executive branch because, and Barb McQuaid said this on Amicus this weekend, they're never going to ever, 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 ever disclose anything again. They will have no basis from which to ever release a witness or a document. They are now completely bulletproof for all of foreseeable future, and that will not change. No president ever again will ever release anyone in his orbit to talk to anyone about anything. Democrat they, or Republican. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that is the benchmark. And you would be insane having seen it, how well it played out to ever try to do the sort of normal accommodation pre- process that presidents have worked out subpoena issues and evidentiary issues. Right. Nixon turned over um, materials. That's, but even if we see like an Elizabeth Warren president in the next cycle, you don't think there will be some kind of return to normalcy for the executive branch? That, I mean, that's the question. And I think that's a really, really hard normative question, because why should she? Right. She's going to be impeached, President Elizabeth Warren, on her first day in office for wearing a tan suit, whatever it is. And why should she accommodate? This goes back for me to Merrick Garland, which is, you know, as soon as that happened, the notion that as soon as Mitch McConnell decided he was not going to allow Obama to appoint a Supreme Court justice in his last year in office. The idea that we would snap back to a norm where if the Democrats ever took control of the Senate again, that they would say, "Okay, now we're really going to accede to a norm that Mitch McConnell broke. That's the problem with these norms is if if only one side is devoted to these basic, basic norms that are the fabric of democracy, then you're just pantsing yourself over and over and over again. And why would you do that? And this is why what happened in the Senate is so devastating. The Senate has made a decision that for the first time in history, we will not have witnesses at an impeachment trial. Why would anybody (laughs) then going forward agree to have witnesses? I, I don't know how you kind of put the toothpaste back in the tube and then say, other than I have some aspirational notion that we are a country governed by democratic norms. Oh, your face is so sad. I mean, I just don't. <laughs> it is really sad. I, I mean, don't have. A good... I see your point. I see your point. I guess I'd say we don't have the evidence yet because Mitch McConnell happened and then Donald Trump was elected. You know what I mean? Merrick Garland happened and then Donald Trump was elected. So we just don't have the evidence yet. But I hear what you're saying. (laughs) I I mean, I guess I would just say uh, Sunday morning, Lindsey Graham's on all the talk shows saying, just you wait, because now the investigation of Hunter Biden begins. Like now the investigation of Joe Biden begins in earnest. I want to find out how all this crap started. If the whistleblower is a former employee, uh, associate of Joe Biden, I think that would be important. If the whistleblower was working with people on Schiff's staff that wanted to take Trump down a year and a half ago, I think that would be important. If the uh, Schiff's They're staff coming after the whistleblower. And I just think the presumption that Lindsey Graham is in good faith, that he legitimately believes that Hunter Biden is the villain in this story, I, 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 I'm not there. I just don't believe it anymore. I think the way you put it was impeachment will actually never end because (laughs) the Democrats are going to keep doing what they're doing. There's rumbling. We talked a lot about what the what the Republicans are going to be doing. But there is there are rumblings that in the House now they'll call John Bolton because he wasn't called in the Senate. And so this warfare, as you've put it, is just going to keep going.
as the impeachment has been going on, the Washington Post has been covering this little story that's happening at the National Archives in the Library of Congress, where the archivists, the librarians made decisions to either alter photos so that they didn't have any anti-Trump signs in them or not have the photos displayed at all. And to me, it goes hand in glove with what's happening with the impeachment. But it's almost more alarming to me because the people who are really kind of the heroes of impeachment to me were those government workers standing up and saying this isn't right. And what you're seeing with these librarians and archivists is people sitting down and saying, "Okay, we know that people wouldn't like this, so we just won't do it. And to me, that's more alarming than anything else. I've been reading and rereading one of the Nuremberg trials, the third trial, which is called the Justice Case. And it was the trial of the judges and the prosecutors. It wasn't, you know, functionaries in the in the Third Reich. It was people who were just judges who were just following the law, imposing the law. And somebody very early on in 2016 said to me, you, you should read that because it's just so easy for someone like me who just says, there's a statute, there's a judge, there's a black robe, there's a like little mallet that they used to gavel in proceedings, to just think that like you have the trappings of officialness, officialness and democratic government and it's all, and yet like horrifying things, horrifying things happening that judges are, are saying like, you know, well, it was just, that was the law or, you know, I, whatever was just doing what I was told. And it, for me, just in my lane in lawland, it's like what you're describing in the archives. It's just a good reminder that you can have like this gorgeous crystalline, right, you know, palace of democracy. But it's just only as good as the people in it being willing to say, like, no, I am a judge and this is wrong. And I am always loath to compare anything to the Nazis. I know the rule and I'm not in any way comparing it. But it's useful to look back and see how kind of creeping authoritarianism, uh, authoritarianism how creeping tyrannical governance happens by these tiny infinitesimal cuts. It's not necessarily the Reichstag fire. It's just people saying like, eh, okay, we'll alter the photos. Like, eh, okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, we'll just turn these people back at the border. Eh, we'll just pop these kids into cages. And you do it in a way that it's not just that the actors are numb. It's that we all lose the ability to be horrified. We're just like, yeah, that was that was probably super bad about extending the travel ban. But like, yeah, you know, three years ago we were at the airports and now we're just watching the Super Bowl. So <laughs> over the course of these impeachment updates, we've basically tried to convince people to pay attention to this trial, this process, to tune in because it's important. But I think a lot of people will look at what's just happened and think all of that attention was for nothing. How do we get people to stay engaged? We have now sadly been disabused of the notion that systems are going to save us, right? Like we we are way, way, way too fanciful about, right? Mueller was going to save us and then Adam Schiff was going to save us in this week. John Bolton was going to save democracy. So, okay, none of those people are going to save us. By the way, Lisa Murkowski, not going to save us. Lamar Alexander, not going to save us. So who's going to save us? Like, we are. We are. 
And that sucks because everybody wants Ruth Bader Ginsburg like on a like fiery steed with like a big flashing silver sword to fix this. And she can't. We can't. And so it sucks because it requires doing the unbelievably uninteresting. No one is ever going to make a reality show about like people registering voters. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to make a reality show about like who is the best like person at phone banking for your favorite candidate because it's not interesting. But like that's what d- does it. And that sucks because it's boring. But I think it's just and, – and also, like, and this is what I have been trying to say to people who say to me, like, I – my blood pressure is now, like, at a cafillion and, like, I'm drinking, like, a full box of wine every day and, like, I'm super sad and I'm balled up and I can't watch anymore. And, like, I think the answer is you don't have to watch anymore. Like, there's not much to watch. And if you choose to just not watch but, like, in your little fetal position, just <laughs> – Call voters and get out the vote and go stand in parking lots and see if you can register voters. Like, be the change in the world that Lisa Murkowski was not capable of being. Like, own it. Own the process. Dial Lithwick, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Mary. Dahlia Lithwick covers it all for Slate. She's also the host of the very smart, very lawyerly podcast, Amicus. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, and today by Mary Wilson and Mara Silvers. I'm Mary Harris. We will be back in your ears tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.